Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? Well, it's been a while since I've had a guest because, you know, my technical difficulties up in here. But um, but I've got Carly on today because um, we're going to talk about some allergies. And so we're keeping our fingers crossed that this is going to work. Um, please, Lord, because I'm ready to have some guests back on. And uh, Carly and I want to talk about allergies because I don't know about where you are, but it, where we are in West Texas is like there's thick layers of pollen everywhere. And every morning my son, I can hear him, he gets up in his room and he sneezes like 25 times in a row. And my husband and I are like, oh yeah, there he goes, Ebenezer Sneezer, every morning. And so we, we've got some allergies going on. And um, I know it affects so many of us and it's annoying and it can just completely ruin your day or more days than one if you're really suffering. And so um, Carly is going to walk us through some holistic approaches to handle these allergies, um, some things that you can do um, to reduce the suffering and um, help clear that up um, a little bit quicker than maybe you normally could. Um, so anyway, she's here. You know who she is, one of my right arm women. Um, she is a registered nurse. She is a, a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. Um, Carly Stagg, welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. I'm so excited to be back. I think don't think I've been here in like 100 episodes or something. <laughs> You've accomplished a lot of episodes in the time um, since we've recorded last. Man, oh man. Yes. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you're here. And let's dive in with really just kind of starting with what what are allergies? I mean, what are they and how are they different from what we might consider like sensitivities or intolerances or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. It's such a good question. And I think this is one of the most important things you can educate yourself on, especially as a patient or a client of, of a healthcare provider. They kind of want you to meet them where they're at as well. So most healthcare providers are more educated in terms of allergies and not so much in sensitivities and intolerances. So just because you're not technically allergic to something doesn't mean it's not affecting you in some other way negatively. So we'll first kind of back up a bit and talk about how we want our immune system to be both smart and strong. So, Oh, that's good. This is yep, a good yep. time to talk about this. Smart and strong immune system. I think we all could use that right about now. <laughs> exactly. Because the smart side of things, we want our immune system to target the right things. So foreign invaders like you know bacteria, viruses, fungi, yeast, etc. versus such as an autoimmune disease, it's targeting the body's own tissues. So we don't want our immune system to be attacking our thyroid. Your immune system may be considered strong, but it's not so smart. So to be strong enough, it has enough enough brawn to it to actually fight off the foreign invaders, but we need it to target the right things. So all of these types of reactions, whether it's an allergy, a sensitivity, an intolerance, um, can be considered to be overreactions of the immune system. So basically, it's like the boy who cried wolf, <laughs> just like we all learned about when we were kids. Um, so it's an overreaction of the immune system to a normally benign substance, which we would call um, a trigger or an antigen that the body should be able to tolerate. Um, our body then makes antibodies against that trigger, that antigen, and then the antigen and the antibody form a complex. So the difference between the different types of reactions, specifically between allergies and sensitivities, is that allergies are targeting immunoglobulin E, so IgE. So it's a different type of antibody versus 
sensitivities are IgG or any other type of reaction. I know, it's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of IgGs. I know, it's a lot it's a lot to think about, but just think about it like there's different types of reactions that your body can form when you're either breathing something in, eating it, coming into contact with it. And the which whatever antibody is formed in response to it, that's what kind of response it is. So if you're getting like an allergy skin test, that's testing for IgE response versus if you're getting a food sensitivity panel, usually it's just checking for IgG. So not all tests are going to show you all different facets of the way your immune system could respond, essentially. So we'll first start out with like your classic allergic reaction. I think we all have known somebody that's had a really severe, like a peanut allergy or milk allergy, soy allergy, where it's severe and usually immediate to within, you know, 8 to 16 hours. So it's like your classic peanut allergy. This person has to carry an EpiPen with them generally. So epinephrine is basically a chemical that we need to actually dilate our airways. And so in the case of anaphylaxis, a very, very severe allergic reaction Basically, because of that inflammation, they have difficulty breathing, they get swelling of their face, lips, and tongue. That's not the only type of allergy you can have, though. So that's the more severe side, but then there's the more mild to moderate allergic reactions, which could be like skin rashes, eczema, itchy, watery eyes, hives, runny nose, like sinus pressure, congestion, etc., post-nasal drip. So you could still have anaphylactic reactions to other things. It's usually food. Usually seasonal allergies are more mild to moderate, but it just depends. Um, And some of the seasonal triggers are like grasses, pollen, mold, dust, and dust mites. Um, Then some non-seasonal triggers like animals, so cats, dogs, horses, cockroaches. I know everyone's favorite. (laughs) It's okay to be allergic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can be allergic to cockroaches. Yes, people are legit allergic to cock. I mean, how do you discover that? Like, yeah, that would be that would be through a skin prick test. So it's not even necessarily allergic to the cockroaches themselves. It's allergic to their poop, which is basically what you're allergic to in most in in most cases of like insect allergies. Yeah, it's lovely, right? We like to talk about poop on this podcast, so it's okay. Well, yes, we do. (laughs) But not cockroach poop. Gross. I know. We'll just <laughs> we'll just delete that statement from the universe, everyone. Apologies for that for that mental image. We'll get the cockroach a squatty potty and we'll move on. <laughs> um, okay, so those are allergies. So we just talked about how it could be anything from somebody that has a really severe peanut allergy, or even if they're just in the room with somebody that's eating peanuts, they could start to have bad symptoms. Versus somebody that goes outside, plays in the grass, and then has a big red rash on their on their leg, something like that. Those could all be related to allergic reactions, so IgE-mediated reactions. And then there's an important caveat to put here. We also have food intolerances, which actually are not generally, imme- generally mediated by the immune system. So... Intolerances are an inability to digest or process one or more components of that food. So it's actually really, really common to have diarrhea after eating milk products, especially after childhood, because you can have lactose intolerance. So the milk sugar in the milk is actually something your body can't digest because it lacks an enzyme. So that is not generally immune-mediated. So that we could also have other intolerances like FODMAP intolerances, histamine intolerance, those are not generally related to like an antibody and antigen response, like allergies would be and sensitivities would be. So most doctors will say, okay, well, your food panel for wheat, for dairy, for peanut, all of you're allergic to any of these things, but you could still be eating them and have symptoms, which could make you feel very confused. And this actually, Chelsea has a great podcast on food sensitivities, which we can link um, and it'll explain a little bit more about the difference, but I'll kind of just start to explain that. So there's a whole other class called food sensitivities, which covers any other type of reaction that's not allergy, intolerance, or autoimmune. So when we're talking about food sensitivity tests, most of them, and this is not ideal, I'll just say, only Mm -hmm. will check for 
immunoglobulin G response to a food, so IgG. But there are so many other ways the body can respond to a trigger or an antigen. So your IgG food sensitivity panel could come back completely normal, and you still know that whenever I eat gluten, whenever I eat soy, I feel I don't feel well. So it could just not pick it up. So what Chelsea and I would both run in our practices is called the mediator release test, the MRT, and that checks for all types of reactions that are sensitivities to a food. So that's the best way if you are going to test for food sensitivities to do so. Then we also have autoimmune responses. So I also have people say, well, what's the difference between, okay, gluten sensitivity or a wheat allergy and then celiac disease? Why are there so many different ways we can respond to wheat? Like we know that it's not good for most of us. <laughs> I think we know at this point, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, so the common example of, of an autoimmune response to a food or an antigen would be celiac disease. This also can happen in Hashimoto's thyroiditis as well. So with celiac disease, essentially when you eat gluten, if you're susceptible to celiac disease, over time, essentially the gluten triggers the immune immune system to begin to destroy the villi, which are like the little absorb, absorptive finger, like finger-like cells in the small intestine, which are responsible for absorption of nutrients. And then that can lead to just lack of absorption, even malnutrition in really severe cases. So the longer the person goes continuing to eat gluten, those villi just get shorter and shorter and shorter until they're, they're so shrunk down that they can't actually absorb the nutrients that you're feeding your body. So you can lose a lot of weight or even you could be overweight because your body is so undernourished that it keeps telling you, eat, eat, we need food, we need food, but you're not getting you know, the vitamins and minerals you need. And I think so Chelsea's like, also well, mentioned this. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, is there any, is there, are there any other conditions like, you know, like um, Hashimoto's where like gluten is um, particularly problematic? Or, I mean, I, I mean, well, gluten is yeah. problematic for all autoimmune conditions, <laughs> but it's so, yeah. I don't know. Um, we, I think of it so much with, um, with the Hashimoto's, but yes, as I've said, if you have anything, if anything going on, do not be eating gluten. But um, I just like to point point it out. The more ways you can point it out, I think the better for people to hear because it's more motivating. You know? Yeah, I think Hashimoto's um, and Graves' disease both are both thyroid related. So I'm sure you guys have listened to Chelsea's thyroid podcasts, which are awesome. But Hashimoto's and Graves are two, you know, relatively similar thyroid conditions. Hashimoto's is more is more definitely linked to linked to gluten, but since they're both thyroid conditions and the thyroid is really easily impacted by gluten, I would say that's another one I would avoid it. Um, type one diabetes has been linked to cow's milk consumption as well. Um, I think it's probably more related to the processing of the cow's milk that's been done. I think if you were eating it more in its whole food form, I don't think it would be quite so much of a trigger. Um, But I also recommend gluten-free for type 1 diabetes as well, generally, just because it can, it's, if it's not something you're actually allergic to or you have celiac disease, it could still be doing damage to your gut. I would say, you know, 80% of people that I work with, they have to be gluten-free or at least, you know, 90% gluten-free for their symptoms to get better. And I know that's a lot of people, but it really is something, if you have active health issues, it's just not something that's going to necessarily promote health within you, and it's not really harmful to take out so long as you're getting a balanced diet in other ways. Right, because the gluten goes in and kind of pries apart those junctions of the small intestinal lining, Mm -hmm. creating a leaky gut. And so that, I mean, that is just going to uh, perpetuate any kind of health condition. Yeah, and it's working against. Yeah, yeah, that's the reason it's not good for most people. When we say that, it's not just because we, you know, yeah, um, are being mean to gluten. We're not trying to be mean and gluten. No hate (laughs) towards you. We just don't aren't aren't really friends right now. Um, (laughs) But I really do think it's something that if you're especially doing a lot of active work to heal your gut, to work on your hormones, all those things, it's likely not helping you, and it's probably making things it's prolonging the process and making things slower um so it's really important to talk about these different you know we haven't even gotten to talk about seasonal allergies very much but I think it's really important to talk about how much it's related to to your gut as well so 
when you're looking at these type of symptoms, if you have allergies and you want to kind of get tested and see where you stand, there's several different ways to do it. So if you're suspecting environmental allergies, like what Chelsea was saying with her son, (laughs) Ebenezer Sneezer, it was so funny. (laughs) Um, You can do, there's several different tests. Um, Genova Diagnostics has a panel called IgE inhalants, so environmental allergens. Um, and or you could do skin testing at an allergist office scope. So skin testing can actually be considered the gold standard for environmental allergens. I wouldn't call it the gold standard for food allergens per se. And again, this is only checking for IgE um, in terms of the skin tests. Same thing with the food allergy panels. So you can also either do a blood test, which is through Genova, Genova IgE food allergy test, um, and or skin testing at an allergist office as well. And based on your symptoms, an allergist can tell you, you know, which type of things to test for. Um, again, those are both testing. So whether, when you're doing skin testing or you're doing an IgE-only test, you're only checking for one type of response of your immune system. It's not comprehensive. Um, so if you're still, if those kind of come back and they're just not showing you a whole lot of information, then you can do a food sensitivity test, um, like what Chelsea and I were just talking about, like the MRT tests for lots of different foods, tests for lots of different reactions to the foods. It's still not perfect, but it is by far better than, you know, regular run-of-the-mill IgG-only tests, which is probably 90% of the tests out there. Right, Chelsea? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Right. Like a lot of the commercially available ones where you can like prick your finger, those will be IgG-only, so it may just show up foods that you're eating often and not even foods you're sensitive to. I want to ask you if one of the ones I'm thinking of is like that, but I don't know if that's the right thing to do here. <laughs> we'll just we'll just say that doing a mail order test is probably not the best bet. <laughs> okay, that helps. That sums it up because that's a question I get. And honestly, I haven't even really looked into those uh, that much, but that's that's good information. Yeah, to know. and I know I, people probably know what we're talking about. Especially as a, like as a person that's not in the healthcare field, I'm sure it's tempting to want to do these tests on your own sometimes. Because it is, you know, sometimes it is a lot to ask to, you know, go get your blood drawn and all that stuff. But if the result is not going to be accurate, you know, you're going to be then, you know, putting yourself through a couple months of having to eliminate foods that you may not even really have a problem with and causing yourself additional stress. <laughs> yep. Um, but really the gold standard for food sensitivities is an elimination diet. So the great thing about what we do with MRT, Chelsea, is that you take out those foods that you were sensitive to for a specific number of time based on how sensitive you were on the labs because it's graded red, yellow, green, etc. So gold standard is to take the foods out for a certain amount of time. I usually say 30 to 60 days. Then take add the foods back, you know, one group at a time and see how you do. And if you have symptoms um, come back after adding the foods back, that's your kind of standard of, okay, that food does not work for me. Um, so that's technically called elimination provocation testing. So it's a very uh, fancy way of saying reintroduction. <laughs> yes, that is fancy. Also, we should probably say here that because um, I get this a lot, people are like, "Ooh, I want to do a, a, you know, a food sensitivity test," and and I always tell them you can, but unless you're going to do a gut healing protocol alongside it, mm-hmm. um, you're not you're not going to be doing much to change things, yep. you know? Um, so the reason you would have a food sensitivity would be because of um, some poor gut function, digestive distress, that kind of thing, even if you don't feel digestive distress, but maybe leaky gut, that kind of thing. And so you really want to take that opportunity while you're removing the foods and doing the elimination to do some gut work as well. Oh, for sure. For sure. I know that's, you know, there's a lot of underlying factors that contribute to allergy symptoms, but the number one is poor gut function. And I know that's like the, you know, that's like the lame nutritionist answer, but I promise (laughs) it actually does work when you work on your gut, everything else will follow. And, you know, for me as somebody that's had allergies since I was a kid, like I, one of my like first memories is taking like a purple Zyrtec every night and how much I hated it. (laughs) Um, Because I have allergies running my family. And so I just kind of thought, oh, this is something I just have to deal with. And, you know, you know, allergy meds didn't really work for me. And I just kind of thought, I guess this is the way it has to be. And that's, you know, that's I think that's kind of the lie that we tell ourselves and that, you know, our culture has taught us that it's just okay to just let things be, which it is okay if that's where you're at in your life. But there there is a possibility to change it. 
Yes, so, like me. Like yeah. I was the person that thought my family, we just, we can't poop and we have bad skin. Like I was like <laughs> ready to, I was like, accept, oh, that's are. me. <laughs> that's all. That's my lot. But uh, no, you can change that. There's so many things that you can change. Um, and a lot of it, you know, starts right here in the gut health. So I know it's there, it's really hard to make gut health sound sexy and like, I know, want you it's just to, not. Be, to make changes. <laughs> it's just not an exciting topic, but it's, it is the 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 guts of the issue right there okay go ahead that was great that that was bad (laughs) and lame sorry (laughs) good and bad and lame are equivalent in my mind i always love some (laughs) love some lame lame puns um so (laughs) some underlying factors that can contribute to, to allergies so the reason that we're so passionate about guts the gut system and also lymphatic system is that we learned in nutrition school that about 80% of our immune system is actually located in our gut. And I know you probably hear that a lot, but you're probably like, what does that even mean? So that area of the gut is called the gut-associated lymphoid tissue. It's called the GALT. (laughs) So when we aren't digesting properly, so we have either a stomach acid deficiency, enzyme deficiency, we have acid reflux, we're taking acid reflux meds, which then kind of feeds into the cycle. Um, we basically have a bunch of, you know, partially digested food just sitting in our gut. I know that sounds disgusting, but that is actually what happens. And it's just kind of sitting there. It's kind of like if you left your lunchbox in the sun, like it's not pretty. So it can actually, <laughs> I had to. Um, it's so right it's up there gonna... with cockroach poop. It's right up there with the cockroach poop. We're just going there today. So that food's basically just sitting in our gut fermenting for way longer than it should Um, And it can actually feed whatever bad bacteria are already existing in your gut. So it causes an overgrowth of bad bacteria because the bad bacteria is like, ooh, I have this awesome, you know, partially digested pizza that I'm just going to use as my as my glucose fuel. And I'm just going to eat it all up and then I'm going (laughs) to take over this whole gut. And unfortunately, that's what happens. And so because of all the inflammation that's caused, it's it reduces the absorption capacity of our mucous membranes. So, you know, within our small intestine, we have those villi that I was talking about, those finger-like projections that are actually kind of reaching out and, you know, absorbing the food, absorbing the vitamins and minerals, you know, nutrients, etc. So when we have that imbalance of bacteria, we have, you know, that food sitting there, it's going to reduce the absorption capacity. So you're going to have less nutrients actually being absorbed. Um, and it's causing that leaky gut that we talk about where the wall, the junctions and the wall are not completely tight. And so over time, as freaky as this sounds, these large, incompletely digested food proteins pass through the gut barrier and can pass into the bloodstream. And these proteins that are, you know, large are not supposed to be going into our bloodstream. They're not supposed to be going into our circulation. So basically your body, you know, it sees, oh no, this pizza has passed right through and now it's in my bloodstream. Oh no, attack, attack. And it freaks out because it sees these large particles that aren't supposed to be there. Kind of like, what the heck? What are you doing here? And then starts to attack them through release of pro-inflammatory mediators. And one of those is histamine. So histamine is what we think of when we take antihistamines. Um, it's going to basically give us all those symptoms of itchy, watery eyes, Um, We're going to be more intolerant to foods that are fermented or aged. It's going to cause congestion, sinus pressure, all those things, post-nasal drip. Um, So because of this, those sensitivities to foods and allergies are really closely linked. So if you're really struggling with allergies, seasonal allergies, you have to look at the root cause of why is my body responding in this way? So just because, you know, you don't feel any gut pain or distress doesn't mean that it's not there. And oftentimes we live such busy lives that we're not actually paying attention to how impaired our gut function is. We don't really notice, oh, you just think, oh, I'm constipated. This is just how I am and it's how I'm always going to be. So why even bother trying to change it? And we just become accustomed to living this way. You know, when I first started nutrition nutrition school, I didn't think that, you know, I thought bloating after meals was normal because everyone that I knew was always like, oh, I feel so horrible after I eat. Everyone said that. So I just thought it was normal. And so this is kind of a way of just, you know, showing you that digestive function is really, really important um, for your, you know, immune system health. And it's not always, you know, severe gut pain and distress. That's not the only sign. There are so many other ways you can tell. 
that this is a problem. Um, and it may be something where even just some questions you answer on like a NAC, like a nutritional assessment questionnaire, can clue if you have an NTP or FNTP working with you, um, can clue one of us into, okay, digestive concerns are a problem for this person, even though they're not complaining of gut distress, we can link different signs and symptoms to your immune system and to your gut. Yep. You, I don't know. You just said post-nasal drip a couple of times. And I, I mean, I always had that until I took out gluten. Yep. And then people, of course, people will tell you, especially, you know, no offense to some of the doctors that I saw when I was like 16, 17, I took gluten out and I was so happy about how much better it made me feel. And then I would go there, go to their office and they would say, there's no evidence to support that. I'm like, I'm sitting right here. <laughs> I am the evidence. <laughs> I am the evidence. So that, that always made me frustrated. Like, okay, I was asking y'all, y'all for help for like two years. Nobody could help me. <laughs> and here I am telling you something that works and you're telling me, well, I don't, that probably didn't do anything. Okay. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for your help. Um, I know. I know. It's so, so it's that's so a big lovely. one. Taking out gluten and seeing if it works for you, despite what, um, you know, somebody might say, but what else can we naturally do to, um, to support our body with, with allergies? Oh yes. There's, there's honestly, there's so much you can do and I'll try not to get so long winded. So you're not overwhelmed to all my people that are listening. Um, so of course I have to be that person and say, please do not do any of this without talking to your own healthcare practitioner because everything depends on your specific case. Like, the, honestly, the thing I've learned through being a nurse is that there's, you know, there's contraindications to a lot of things. <laughs> and we don't always know, you know, what we can and can't do unless we talk to someone. So just run it past, run it past your people first. Um, but there's a couple of things that I want to talk about. So I know I briefly mentioned that GALT, that gut-associated lymphoid tissue. So we want to focus on lymphatic drainage. So the way that lymphoid tissue works is it actually helps drain out any pathogens, anything that's gotten stagnant in the gut and kind of helps keep the gut healthy. But if your lymphatic system is really stagnant and slow and sticky, it's not going to do its job properly. Um, And I don't know if you've talked about the lymphatic system much, Chelsea, but I'll kind of just give a little overview. So I know we all know that we have our heart and our circulatory system. So we have blood vessels and the heart that pumps our pumps our blood, goes through our entire body, brings oxygen to all of our cells, takes deoxygenated deoxygenated blood back up, gets it reoxygenated, all that jazz. Super important. But we also have another channel of fluid that's going through our body, and that's called the lymphatic system. So our lymphatic system is actually carrying some of our immune cells. It's picking up waste. It's getting everything kind of cleared out. So it's not as critical to survival, but if your lymphatic system isn't working, you will know. You'll have like swollen feet at the end of the day, but every, you know, every doctor says you're fine, you're normal. You'll just feel kind of sluggish. Um, Sometimes you can have, you know, swollen lymph nodes in your neck um, and that kind of thing. Um, So focusing on lymphatic drainage, making sure that system is working properly. So the number one thing for that is going for a walk every day. Um, lots of gentle movement. So it, I'm not saying go to CrossFit every day, although that would be, you know, a couple times a week. That's okay. <laughs> um, and then using like a vibration platform, like what Chelsea recommends or a rebounder. I have like this super bougie, it's like a mini trampoline that is called a rebounder. And mine is, it's called Jump Sport is the brand. And it's like the best one I've ever had. So I will shout it from the rooftops. Um, oh, but just cool. like- 10 to 15 minutes a day on that. It just kind of helps basically go against the flow of gravity because our lymph system doesn't have its own pump like the heart. So we need to manually pump it by moving, by jumping, um, vibration platform, et cetera. And then, you know, a specific area to work on lymphatic drainage in is our face and our neck. So there is a self-lymphatic drainage facial, facial massage that I'll link in the description that I've probably used like hundreds of times, sent it to lots of clients. Um, so it's by, I think her name is Massage by Heather, but basically it's a really, really gentle massage. You're using very, very light pressure. Um, and she says it's like the pressure you would use to push a coin across the table. You're not like trying to get into muscle or anything. You're just helping to move that fluid that's right under the skin. And you can also try gua sha if the self-lymphatic drainage massage isn't your thing. Wait, gua sha? What, what is that? <laughs> I 
That was so perfect, Chelsea. Wait, gua sha. So gua sha, there's like these little stones that almost are like a flat, like palm-sized, like shiny stone. And it's part of Chinese medicine. Basically what it is is you are stabilizing one part of your face and doing these really, really light strokes. Again, very gentle pressure, and it helps to move the lymphatic fluid. You can also go to someone to do it, um, but you can very easily do it yourself as well. Oh, I've never heard of that. Well, I can tell you when I've gone to my, I've talked about my Russian medical uh, massage therapist. <laughs> when I go to her, like you really, you have to bite a stick. It hurts so bad when, but, but, um, <laughs> but it's good for you. So I, I, you know, it's always good, but she really gets the lymph system going and she will do that. And she'll do some of that face massage where, I mean, it, I have felt like she's popped some things, moved some things. And it, one time it felt like steam came out of my ears, like hot air, like escaped oh out of my ears it was the yeah, weirdest it was a, sensation it was pressure it was like the pressure in your ears yes. equalizing. And she'll pop yep. my jaw and she'll and it's and then it's like so much better it's unbelievable so any this stuff this kind of stuff works this you know kind of manipulation of the um of the face and moving that stuff around so but i hadn't heard of the gua sha i'm gonna i kind of just like yeah. saying it i'm gonna check it out I know it's great. I'll link a little video about it um, by one of my favorite herbalists in the show notes. But yeah, it's a really, really cool thing to do. And there's also some, you know, people have said it helps with wrinkles. It can, it basically helps with circulation of the face. So it's supposed to be something that promotes circulation. So of course that would help with, you know, wrinkles, fine lines, you know, I've seen people say it helped them, help them with hyperpigmentation and acne. Um, So all those things. So just, you know, all that to say that doing like body work and manipulation in any way is really, really beneficial. You just need to make sure you give yourself, you know, the time and space to do it correctly. Um, This is not something you want to like totally rush through. And if you're going to get one of these, you know, if you're going to go get a lymphatic drainage massage, you're going to get like a more intense one, like what Chelsea suggested, make sure you give yourself, you know, space afterward to rest because it can release, honestly, some, some, you know, lovely little toxins. It can also kind of give you the feels. There's some level of emotions that that can actually be triggered um, by manipulating, you know, all of that stored, you know, basically all the stored fat cells, everything that's tight in our muscles, all that stuff. It can it can really be an experience, but I would highly suggest it um, if you can. I think that's something a lot of people actually need as well and just don't make the time for, and it's so important. Mm-hmm. And if you can't do, you know, Russian medical massage, at least, you know, <laughs> do a little walking and and uh, get a rebounder. There you go. And a self and, and a self facial massage. You can do that. Yes. Yes. The easy stuff. Do, do some easy stuff. And, and then if you know you have digestive discomfort present, like, you know, you have you say I have horrible acid reflux or I have always have post nasal drip or I always feel, you know, indigestion after meals. Um honestly some level of acid reflux um, or upper GI distress is usually hap- is usually present in most of allergy cases that I've seen um, so the thing I like the most for this is called mega mucosa and it's from microbiome labs it's a combination of artichoke leaf ginger and licorice so DGL is like a special licorice that has this certain compound um, removed that can cause, like hypertension if you take too much licorice, but it has that removed. So it's, it's much safer than just like buying some licorice root from off the shelf. Um, it can also, you can also raise the head of your bed because that actually will reduce acid reflux from happening overnight and try to avoid eating two hours before bed, which isn't ideal for multiple reasons, the least of which is acid reflux. Yeah. I kind of talked about that last week, but that, yes. But okay. So the, the mega mucosa, that is a supplement that you like for acid reflux yes and even if you just suspect it and you don't feel refluxy okay so like for me when I had when I had my really bad allergies I always felt like my throat was like not great like you said post nasal drip it just was never 100% there so I suspected it and the mega mucosa is something that really helped me get through that um, even though I didn't necessarily know that I had acid reflux or feel those symptoms um so yeah, that's just an important thing to think of is, you know, maybe I need some upper GI support um, to help me digest properly so that, you know, this whole cycle doesn't start where the maldigested food's in there and then the whole fermenting and bacteria and then leaky gut. 
we don't want that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this, that's the same reasoning for doing fat digestion support, like Tadka from Cellcor, which Chelsea and I are both big fans of. It's, it's, it's my baby. Um, and then beta TCP is my other baby. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I will probably suggest one of the two of those. If I am, if I'm working with you, I have, I play my favorites. If that you don't have a gallbladder, um, you would use something called beta plus, or you could also use, um, the Tudka or the beta TCP. You just may need something stronger like the beta plus because you don't have the gallbladder, which is your, your, um, bile storage container basically your liver makes bile your gallbladder stores it and bile is what helps us emulsify and digest fats and then the final thing you might need is pancreatic enzymes I have never been somebody that's needed enzymes my stuff was more acid and fat digestion related but for pancreatic enzymes if you're if you're supplementing with upper GI support like mega mucosa or licorice or something like that and, you know, beta plus, beta TCP or Tudka, you may still need enzyme support if you're still feeling bloated after meals, you know, you're, you're constipated, you're having diarrhea, all the above. It could be any of those or having nausea as well. And then, you know, like we already talked about, you know, <laughs> we're back to the diet, elimination diet for 30 days and then slowly reintroduce foods. So I am a bargainer with people that I work with. <laughs> I will tell them it needs to at least be gluten-free and Mm dairy-free. You can get a B for me if you do gluten-free and (laughs) dairy-free. B. You get a B. B plus if you're you're doing really well with it. And then if you want to get an A plus for me and really get to the root of what's going on with you, gluten-free, dairy-free, egg-free, corn-free, soy-free, and alcohol-free. I know that sounds like a lot, Man, but there's so much you else you can are... eat. <laughs> I know That's I'm the worst. I hear no, it all the time. It's, it's okay. <laughs> it's the truth. It's so horrible, and I I hate. It's like I don't know. I you know I talk about these top five um, a lot, and gosh, the eggs are the killer. I'm egg free right now. I know. Yeah. I know. I am. I know I'm you just are. Always. Doesn't tolerate eggs. I'm. I'm always egg free, and I know people are like my eggs. I'm like, I promise you'll be alive. Still, I've been off eggs for like five years. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm, I mean, I miss them and I really, I want, I want them back, but it's, it's been better than I thought it was. It's been okay. You know, like, I mean, I'm just eating lots and lots of beef because since I'm doing the carnivorous yep. experiment right now, but it, it really has been okay. There's a lot of other things that you can, that you can eat. Um, But yeah. I know there's so much, but it, it, at the beginning it can feel kind of like a sucker punch. So if somebody totally. is, you know, coming to me from eating McDonald's every day no offense to McDonald's I know that everyone has to eat and I am not hating on you but (laughs) sorry I'm in rare form today so no offense to McDonald's eaters sad eaters a standard American diet but if somebody's coming to me from that background I start them with gluten-free and dairy-free for 30 days but I tell them on that condition if you don't feel better in 30 days I am going to ask you to do the full one because I don't want them to think that especially when you're working with someone and you're told take out these two things that feel like your whole world. Um, but then in 30 days, you might have to take out more things. You're, you're at least mentally preparing yourself versus if I, you know, sucker punch you with, okay, well that didn't, that didn't produce enough of a result. Let's do now the eliminating the, the seven foods. They'll be like, uh, bye. <laughs> Peace out sister. <laughs> um, but I do want to make a note of why it's 30 days. Because I, I don't know why, but oftentimes people think, okay, but I didn't eat gluten for a weekend and I didn't feel any better. So why is this any different? And I really think that would be more effective if somebody had an allergy because that would clear out of your system faster. But if you have a sensitivity, it can take 14 to 20 days to even get that food out of your system completely. Um, and then the next, you know, 14 to 10 or 10 to 14 days, that's when your body actually has a chance to enjoy reduced inflammation and start adjusting your symptoms accordingly. So your body will start screaming at you, but so will stop screaming at you, but slowly. So it's not like with an allergy where you stop eating it and then immediately you're like, oh, you know, my skin didn't break out because I didn't eat peanuts today. Um, sensitivities are a lot more subtle. And so it'll take you longer to notice that difference. But I always ask people to commit to me 30 days. Um, that 30 day mark is, is usually plenty of time to see at least some reduction. And even when people get to the 30 days and say, I don't think it did anything, then I'd have them reintroduce 
And oftentimes then they do notice that things came back. They just forgot that they existed. Mm -hmm. Because you get so used to feeling good that you almost don't think about how bad you felt at the beginning. Right. And then um, what happens is people feel it even more exacerbated, even worse. Yeah. You know, um, and I've had people say, man, I can't tolerate that at all now. I'm like, well, <laughs> your body doesn't want to. And now it's trying <laughs> to tell you that it really enjoys you not having it. And so if you put it in there, it's going to slap you upside the head. So that's you better listen. Well, yeah, it's almost like if you had like, let's say you had 15 kids at your house and they're all screaming really loud. And your your brain just kind of accustomed your accustomed you to hearing the 15 kids scream all the time. And you're like, whatever, they're just running around. They're being kids. Versus then it's been quiet for two hours. One of the kid, kids comes back in, starts screaming again and, you know, throwing a fit. And you're like, oh, ow, my ears. <laughs> yes. Because oh, it was quiet analogy. all of a sudden. And then now mm-hmm. you have somebody back up causing an uproar. As lovely as, as lovely as the kids are, you were used to the 15 kids throwing a fit before and then now the one kid comes back and you know it's not it's not super pretty you were used to your suit you were used to your silence and then it all it all came back came roaring back so oftentimes I'll tell people it's not even necessarily that your body created an exaggerated response to it although it could have it's more so that your your body was accustomed to the quiet of not having that symptom constantly you know you know aware it wasn't constantly aware of that symptom all the time got it yeah that's a good one. So, so lovely. But I know people, people will be like, my, why am I so much more sensitive to this? I promise I ate it before. I'm like, yeah, you had a lot of stuff going on in your body before. So, you know, your your body is getting used to learning how to tell you that it's not happy with something. And so it might pitch mm-hmm. a little more of a fit too. <laughs> That's um, right. But another thing to do, this is a note, I know it's trite, but drink a lot of water. Water is so important. You need to flush your system. You need enough water to have enough lymphatic fluid, um, to have enough blood volume. It's just overall so important to flush out toxins, um, flush out excess hormones, all that good stuff. And then my favorite topic, which is supplement support to kind of reduce the immune response. So just like Chelsea said earlier, if you just take foods out and you focus on, you know, supplements for allergy management versus why do I have allergies in the first place, you're going to be disappointed because then when you stop taking the supplements or stop eliminating the foods anymore and you go back to eating everything, you're going to feel the same because it didn't actually fix what was wrong. Those things more so help you with symptoms while you're working on the root cause. So you need to work on gut healing support. So I usually suggest from Microbiome Labs, Mega Mucosa and Megaspore Biotic, which is their spore-based probiotic, um, or just Thrive Probiotic as well. Um, But I highly suggest that you work with a practitioner to guide you through this for dosing and timing and all that stuff because everyone's different. Some people are sensitive to certain ingredients. Um, So the number one thing is that gut healing protocol to start. And then if if you really can, it would be great if you can do something like a GI map Um, with someone like Chelsea who's fabulous at reading them and can help you with working on what nutrients you need to take for your specific condition because some people have bacterial overgrowth that also needs to be addressed as well you know yeast overgrowth all that fun stuff and if you don't address that you could still end up having allergy symptoms as well Um, but on to the you know anti-inflammatory you know supplement support as well Chelsea, is there anything you want me to add about the gut healing stuff? Mm, no, you know, I mean, I, we've talked about how a, a good gut healing protocol is just um, most people could benefit from doing one. If you have any of this stuff going on, it would be helpful. Um, you know, love the cell core, love the cell core line. Um, but yes, also, but you can, you know, work with um, a practitioner to customize it more as well. So, but just something, something to support the gut is really important. Absolutely. And I think the other, so the other stuff we want to talk about is more so how do I balance my immune system right now and keep it from going totally haywire? Like let's say at this exact moment you have, you know, sneezy, stuffy nose, congestion, all that stuff. So the first one is a controversial one. Woo. Um, N-acetylcysteine, which we colloquially refer to as NAC, <laughs> NAC. Mm-hmm. So 
NAC is the precursor to glutathione, which is the body's, the body's basically master antioxidant. So what that means is that any places where inflammation is happening, our body is also able to produce glutathione and giving the body N-acetylcysteine is just like giving it the step right before it converts to glutathione. So you ingest NAC, it turns into glutathione, it goes to any sites where inflammation is happening, and basically it's like an off switch for the inflammation. And, you know, the vast majority of diseases are caused by unchecked inflammation, including allergies. Yes, but they, you know, just this week, what they're saying, they're going to pull NAC from um, the consumer being able to buy it. Is that correct? Yes, they actually said that they, well, it's, I believe it's pulled from Amazon. Um, Chelsea and I were talking about this before we started recording, and essentially my understanding of it, and I'm in no, by no means like an FDA expert, <laughs> so don't come hunt me down, um, but basically the FDA was targeting people that had said that NAC could be used as a hangover cure, quote unquote, which clearly it's not a hangover cure quote-unquote there's no cure for that <laughs> besides not drinking alcohol <laughs> but supposedly somebody had had made those claims and so they had decided they were going to pull it from consumer markets or that's at least the stage that it's in I don't know where it is at legally if they've actually passed any laws to prohibit its sale but I do know that some companies have pulled it off their websites to avoid potentially potential controversy um, I know Chelsea and I were talking about we, we had ordered some each from Fullscript and all of the brands, um, Fullscript is our practitioner supplement dispensary, and all of the brands are basically backordered because of this, this panic, because of this really powerful nutrient that can be so helpful for so many conditions um, being pulled. It's just, it's, it's just sad. So I hope hopefully timing, it doesn't actually end up happening. I know. The I know. Awful the timing too. of this is very <laughs> sketchy, I think. Like, oh, some something that has been used for a long time that people can help, um, you know, boost their immune system and help themselves. I mean, they're taking that way. Oh, anyway, just makes me I mad. I know. I know. It's little, little drives me a little bit crazy. Uh, you know, I just don't like, you know, rules that don't have a reason to <laughs> or a good reason mm-hmm. in my mind um or a yeah. false reason or a false reason exactly exactly that's a that's a nice way of putting it um but the knack is also cool because it actually can can break up biofilm so that's the reason why people had mentioned that it's something that you could use to support your body during covid because knack would actually help to prevent bacteria and viruses form like this little protective shell over themselves called a biofilm um and knack is actually a biofilm disruptor so it can go in and break up that that those those biofilms so that your immune system cells can see the bacteria and viruses and actually fight them off versus the bacteria living in their little happy home, you know, in your respiratory tract and lungs and all that stuff. So, of course, we wish that that was not the case. Um, there are other options you can use instead of NAC. It's not like that's the only thing that's helpful. You could buy just glutathione itself um, for the antioxidant potential. And, and, and glutathione itself, the only thing about that is that it can cause some GI distress. And because it's something your body makes, it's not really efficiently absorbed by taking it orally, which is kind of the unfortunate thing. So you yeah, would have to take a little bit more. And you don't want to take high doses. You'd have to split it throughout the day because think about it. Your body's not making, is not, you know, sitting around all day and then at, you know, 9 p.m. It's not like, let's make 3,000 milligrams of glutathione. Like it's not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be doing it throughout the day as needed. Um, and so the other thing for that biofilm side is you could use something like a proteolytic enzyme. So Intenzyme Forte from Biotics is what I usually use. Um, I don't know if Wobenzyme still exists, um, but it was from Garden of Life. It's a very similar product you can get from Whole Foods. Um, Intenzyme Forte is from um, is from Biotics. You can get it on Fullscript. Um, but basically what that is, it can disrupt biofilms. It helps to break up any inflammation that's going on in the body. It's to, I call it like inflammation Pac-Man. So it goes around and it eats up all the little inflammatory molecules, including histamines and that type of thing that are in excess and causing immune system disruption. I love that one because of the double duty. So that's the one you when you take on an empty stomach, it yes. it works in that way. And then when you take it with food, it works as a digestive enzyme. Yes, so that's I, very I, important to note. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's it's like enzyme forte. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like five tablets on an empty stomach, and I usually do twice a day. 
Um, if I can think of it to do twice a day, <laughs> it's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's a problem with everything if you have to do it more than once a day. Um, but yeah, it's on an empty stomach. But if you take it with food, it can be used as a digestive enzyme. So it's it's really handy. I always have a bottle in my cabinet. You know, it's one of the first things I reach for when, you know, I have like, you know, aches and pains, knee pain, I have a headache, cramps, all the above. I'm sick, all that stuff. Yeah, um, there's been studies in other countries to use that um, instead of like aspirin or, or like an NSAID, I think, as well. Um, yeah. Using Intenzyme Forte, right? Or, well, yes. not in, the proteolytic enzyme. Yeah, the proteolytic enzymes. But it's something where it is – so because it's been compared to NSAIDs and that kind of thing, especially aspirin, I believe there's some level of – if you're on some, if you're somebody that's on, like, blood thinning medications, you'd want to be careful because by reducing inflammation, you could thin your blood because that's a natural byproduct of reduced mm. inflammation. So just be mm-hmm. careful of that um, and make sure you talk to your doctor um, it's not something I, you know, suggest to do willy-nilly, especially if somebody's on like 15 meds. Um, but it is something that I use really often myself, and I think it's so, so useful. Um, so that's proteolytic enzymes. So I know it's a bummer we can't get NAC, but we do have the glutathione. We do have proteolytic enzymes. Um, so we'll just try to do the best we can with what we do have. Um, another thing that's really important is vitamin D. So vitamin D is like a master immune balancer is the best way I can describe it. So it's going to be a balance between a smart and a strong immune system. You know, we, we want our immune system to have both. We want it to be able to be strong and fight off pathogens, but we also don't want it to attack our own cells either. So vitamin, vitamin D helps it develop that um, competency to know what's its thing to fight and how, and how to have the strength to do so. Um, so you want your vitamin D levels generally for most people to be somewhere between 40 and 80, um, higher towards the upper end of that range. If you have autoimmune disease, if you're, um, you know, if you are worried about your immune system being low, um, you want to protect yourself, um, you'd want it to be on the higher end of that range. Um, and I usually, for most people, they start around 5,000 IU a day, but some people are really horrible at absorbing vitamin D. (laughs) So it's important to check because you could be taking 5,000 a day, think you're good, get your vitamin D checked and it's 20, and then you realize, oh, actually I haven't been, you know, optimal on my vitamin D versus other people absorb it really easily and could be over that 80 number. Um, but there's not really a concern for toxicity until it's over 100 in my understanding, right, Chelsea? Yeah, I think that's right. And I mean, what do you think about how long somebody should supplement with it? Um to see the needle move, you know, if like you were going to yeah. retest on Duke vitamin That's D. a really good question. I would, I usually do. I mean, it kind of depends. Sometimes if I have somebody with super low vitamin D, they can do a, a higher dose for like a week or so and then go to the maintenance dose just depends on how, on how low it is. But I usually say like six to eight weeks, um, or even three months, but it's really important to note your insurance will not cover it. Um, I believe more than twice a year, most insurances at least. So it's better kind of to do that one, you know, cash pay on your own, um, mm-hmm. that type of thing usually. Um, and I do want to mention also there has been some controversy about vitamin D. Um, like why, like, you know, we have these people, like I was just saying, where they think they're taking enough vitamin D and they're still low. There are other reasons for not absorbing vitamin D. Um, and oftentimes it's related to not having enough vitamin K to being inflamed, having too many processed oils in the diet. So there are other reasons why your vitamin D could be low. So the answer is not always vitamin D, vitamin D, vitamin D, because it could be low for other reasons. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I also want to say that for vitamin D, you want to combine it with vitamin K because that makes sure that when vitamin D, you take vitamin D, it encourages your immune system to, or encourages your digestive system, sorry, to absorb more calcium. And you want that calcium that's absorbed to go to bones versus arteries and calcifying stuff. You don't want it to calcify. <laughs> so you like a like a DK2 combo? Yes, exactly. And most of them okay. are done in a ratio where it's not like you have to think about it. If you take one vitamin D with K2, it should have the right amount of both. That's a good one. It is. It's a, it's a winner. <laughs> um, and then we have vitamin C, everyone's favorite. There's lots of really cool information about vitamin C, so I encourage you to, to re- do your own research. Um, but it's really considered to be like a natural antihistamine. So it is going to stabilize mast cells, um, which are the cells that your immune system uses like as like the flag that 
produces histamine when it sees something it doesn't like, basically. Um, and then the same thing with quercetin. So quercetin also stabilizes the mast cells, and so it'll reduce your histamine release as well. Um, an important thing about quercetin as well is that it is a zinc ionophore. So what that means is that when you take zinc with quercetin versus taking zinc by itself, it can actually, it's supposed to actually open up the cell membrane and make it so that the zinc can actually get into the cell versus just sitting in your bloodstream doing nothing. Because inside nice. the cells is where viruses and bacteria can start to invade and replicate, and we don't want that. So the quercetin actually will open the door for the zinc to enter the cell. That is a good little juicy tidbit. Yes, make sure you remember that, people, because I know whenever I see someone taking zinc without quercetin, I want to go, here's some quercetin. I'm going to throw it over there. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I know, know that one. That's a really good one because um, – you know, we do the the zinc um, the zinc loading. I mean, what do you call it? The the self test for zinc to yes, yes. kind of determine. And some people will take zinc for a while, and yeah, it's it's uh, and not seeing a difference. So that is a good tidbit to add. I need to update my update that information, and that's a good one. Yes, it's really it's really important to remember. And there's a great product from her name's Organic Olivia. Again, like I mentioned her earlier, my favorite herbalist, but she has a zinc with quercetin product that has the exact right amounts of zinc and quercetin so that they are synergistic and can help each other be more effective versus, you know, taking massive amounts of both and not really knowing if it's working. Good deal. Uh, I know. It's cool. And then I also want to mention leafy tincture, which sounds like it's some sort of CBD. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know it's not. Everyone's like, what? Whenever I mention it to them, but it's turmeric and ginger in a base of vegetable glycerin with black pepper for bioavailability. So it's an anti-inflammatory. <laughs> it actually tastes really good. I'm I'm not kidding. And I actually have kids that I've worked with that have taken it. <laughs> really? So okay. I promise it's not gross. Actually, I want to send you a bottle, Chelsea, and have your kids try it, and then we'll really we'll really know. <laughs> yes, I, yeah. I'm not a ginger person. I think that's part of it. I'm just I, I know some people love ginger, but I'm just one of those people who don't love ginger. Maybe that's it's why really it not sound gingery. Good to me. I I promise. I will send. I'll send you a bottle. I will. Okay. I will do it. Um, so it's two to three droppers up to two to three times per day when you have allergy symptoms. So it's just an anti-inflammatory. The, the cool thing about the leafy tincture is that it's very bioavailable. So think about if your gut's so stressed out and you have that fermenting food in your gut, you have bad bacteria, your gut's leaky, like how much of a capsule are you really actually absorbing? So this tincture is put into a form where it's very bioavailable. The turmeric has that black pepper in it to help with absorption and utilization. So again, it's just great anti-inflammatory to take um, as well. And then the last thing I want to mention um, are also nasal sprays. So I know you might go to your allergist and they'll be like, take some Afrin, take some, you know, Flonase, da-da-da-da-da, which is totally valid if that's if you're in a really severe state. I'm not totally not dissing that. I think that's important to know when you need conventional medicine. But there's so many people that still have symptoms even after using that stuff, unfortunately. So in terms of nasal sprays, the one that I use daily is called Ion Biome Nasal Spray. So it's essentially this certain very specific type of minerals that are in a nasal spray. I know it sounds bizarre. And it's supposed to feed good bacteria in your respiratory system. So they also have one that's used for gut health as well. So it's called Ion Gut Health. And then they have an ion nasal spray. Um, and so daily, that's what I use for maintenance for my allergies. And then I also use a xylitol nasal spray from this company called like Xlearzlear, X-L-E-A-R. Oh, um, oh, yes. It's really great. And it has grapefruit seed extract. So that's really good for congestion. If you have really bad sinus symptoms, like if you're super stuffed up and you put that in your nose, you know, stuff's going to come out, which is great. <laughs> we want to flush it out. And that's that's the, the one thing I do want to like, kind of close us with is that these symptoms, I know we always get annoyed at our body and how it's kind of expressing its displeasure with whatever we're doing and its environment and all that stuff. But our body is really just trying to flush itself out in the vast majority of cases. Like diarrhea, your body's like, this thing is not good for me, getting it out. You know, runny nose, something up here is not right. I need to get this out. 
And it may be a little misguided. Like I said, allergies are kind of the boy who cried wolf. But our body is really, really trying to help you. Your body's trying to help you. So all we can do is support it the best we can. Um, And, you know, that's all we can do is work on our gut health, work on our stress, lymphatic system, you know, immune system health with some supplements. And, you know, that's all we can do. Yeah, that's so good. Um, Okay, the nasal sprays, I mean, like the flunies and stuff, I mean, you're not supposed to take that in, in afrin. You're not supposed to take that indefinitely, <laughs> right? That's, that's the problem. Well, like, but it's the same thing with, <laughs> with, with like GI docs and um, omeprazole and stuff like that, where technically you're not supposed to take it for more than three to four weeks at a time. Yeah. And there's people out there that have been taking it for 20 years. I'm sure maybe you're one of them and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, don't please get off it. Don't don't be taking that. Yeah, but those nasal sprays, yeah, you're not supposed to be doing that indefinitely. So, but these ones that you're mentioning, um, the Ion Biome and the the, the uh, Xclear or Xclear, those you can take on a more regular, on a more consistent ongoing basis. basis. Like the Ion mm-hmm. Biome okay. is designed for daily use, and then the Xylitol one I use as needed for symptoms. So it's not quite as often, but it is something that I really, I really like both of those. And I just, I'm not somebody that wants to be dependent on taking Zyrtec, taking Flonase, all those things. Because also by the time that I was, you know, I was taking a lot and it wasn't even really helping by the end. Like your body kind of just gets accustomed to it because you're not treating the root cause. You're just kind of band-aiding it. And over time, the band-aid just keeps falling off. It's not really working anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of what I see it as. It's like a very, it's like a band-aid that's not really sticky anymore. And so after time, your body's like, Ugh. Whatever, 10 milligrams of Zyrtec, it's not going to do anything to me. Like, it just kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, whatever, dude. Whatever, dude. That's a drop in the bucket. I'm mad about yeah. this allergen. Duh. <laughs> what about, um, because I just got all the beekeeper natural stuff, which I lo- am loving. So good. It's such think good stuff. About, yeah. I mean, what do you think of, wh- where would that, where would that have a place here? What do you like about um, them or those products? I think I would say the beekeeper natural stuff I use more so for I actually the raw, the honey itself it's not going to be as helpful for allergies because unless you live in the area where it's from mm-hmm. it's not going to have those specific like grasses and pollens in it but there is there is some like there are some reports of raw honey from your area being something that can help with with seasonal allergies you can kind of think of it like it's almost like natural allergy shots. <laughs> so your body sees whatever it is um, in a very, very small amount from the honey. And it's like, okay, I can deal with that. And then it, you know, you get hit with the pollen on your car and your body's not so, you know, apt to respond in such an aggressive way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think honey from a local area is really important. But the beekeeper's natural stuff, in my mind, is really just good for immune balancing and support in terms of like, I use the propolis spray in my throat every day, which we were just talking about um, in the Christian Health Club Facebook group. Um, but that's something I use every day as prevention of whatever throat stuff wants to happen to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whatever like lovely little pathogen wants to hang out there. Um, but yeah, I, I'm in huge support of that. I just, in terms of local and seasonal allergies, I think it's not quite as helpful. But the propolis and all that stuff is great in general for immune health. Yeah. I'm liking those. I'm just, I just got some, um, and I really am enjoying it. So that's good. This is so good. You know what I think I'll do is with all of these supplements that you listed, I'm going to full script and create a, um, just like a own category for this, you know, with all of these loaded up in there. So if anybody, um, in the Christian Health Club or is working with me and on full script can go in and find all these in one place. I think that would be a good idea. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's do it. Okay. And also we'll have all this stuff is in the show notes as well. Um, so you can, cause I know a brand's like, there's a lot of things we talked about and listed out today. So you can go back and in the show notes and find all the names and all the stuff that, that uh, Carly talked about here. Um, that yeah. is awesome. Thank you. You're so welcome. I'm so sorry for talking so fast, everyone, but I wanted to get all of the info out there and I figure you can slow it down if you need to, but, um, thank you so much, Chelsea, for having me. 
Y'all, Chelsea's just the the absolute best in the world. So I hope you know oh. that she's 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 the literal best. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for her. So grateful to get to be here. Always love chatting with you. We'll do another one soon. Um, if you have a request for a specific topic that you want me to be completely nerdy about, please leave it in a comment because I will totally jump on that. Yes, she would love to. And we'd love to have you here. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all the good juicy stuff with us today. Awesome. Thanks, Chelsea. All right, my friends. Thanks so much for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week, and I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.